So at that point, I turned my efforts around and I looked at life and realized that I had to embrace my humanity into my being to be free. Is this still are you with me still or is it, huh? Because I can simplify it and make it funnier. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny anyway. But. Hi everyone, it's Raghu and I'm back with Ramdas here and now bonus episode and I'm doing it for a couple of different reasons actually one is that I have found a talk that there was just a, a piece of it that really spoke to me and I, I wanted to share it as something very special at the same time I wanted to just give a Give everybody a heads up about this wonderful course that Love Server member is putting on, Ramdas's Yoga of Heartfulness. And um, I r- really am very, very happy that we're sharing this. And I have found, as I've gone through it in terms of working on it, and I worked on it with uh, Jackie Dubrinska, who came up with the concept for the course and as we started going through the material and I started looking at the the qualities that make up heartfulness and they are so closely associated with my own experience of first meeting Ram Dass and then spending a lot of time with him over the decades. But this particular talk ties into the yoga of heartfulness. It, it's, its central um, premise is around how do we deal with suffering? How do we embrace our humanity and, and how do we not run from the vast suffering that we see around us that exists, and it's our family. And that is addressed in the course uh, around the kinds of transformative methods that one can use to not be caught in that really, really impenetrable polarization that occurs in us when we experience suffering, when we see suffering. And I just think that it's it's always great to talk about the potentiality of us being able to transform ourselves to do some good in this world, just as simply said as that. And yet, unless we get beyond our own personal relationship with suffering, and when I say beyond, when we can be free of being caught in fighting against it in our own lives, not not finding a way to befriending it, 
is as the Buddhists would say. Until you can be with suffering, Ramdas says, it, there, there really isn't any freedom. And so this goes hand in hand with heartfulness and being able to be live more in our generous aspect, in our compassion, in our loving kindness, and our loving awareness. And when I started going through the all of the various talks, which, by the way, aren't just Ramdas, and they're Ramdas pre-stroke and after stroke in the years, uh, 15 years he was in Maui before he left. But it also got Jack Kornfield and Krishnadas and Sharon Salzberg and Nina Rao and Mirabai Bush and Trudy Goodman and Ramdev and Jai Utah, who, by the way, in the course tells this amazing story of, uh, from the Ramayana that's just so precious. It, it is very, very rich. And so as I started going through all of this and, and, and just started to realize the concept is so compelling that it, it gives us a, what shall I say, true intention to make that change in our hearts and radiate these extraordinary qualities with the hope of transforming the polarization that's in this world and within us. And so, uh, yeah, I really love this talk. I mean, it starts, he starts with the, the, the thing that changed his Com- completely the U-turn in his life with 1961 when he took psilocybin, mushrooms. You know, many of us have had, if it wasn't with a psychedelic, it was with some other ineffable experience that made us understand we are not our identities and roles, which Ramdas was so um, detailed about in terms of understanding that which prevents us from becoming free is is that complete magnetization of our identities and roles. It's, we are so lost there. Um, so I really love this. Um, and and in, the, in the end, it's... It's always about, and I don't know how many times I have said this in talks or podcasts or, or whatever, but uh, I got so much from Ramdas when he would especially talk about we can live on more than one plane of consciousness at the same time, we can live on two planes of awareness. And that the ability to do so, where you are not pushing away suffering, and I don't mean just our own suffering, but I mean the suffering we see around us. And But you can still, at the same time, uh, he calls it, stand in the miracle of it all. So this is... Um, 
Yeah, a key. It's a wonderful excerpt. I'm calling it. I mean, they actually called it uh, Soul View. So please, uh, I'm happy to share this, uh, and I hope everyone enjoys. And at the same time, please do go to ramdas.org slash heart and you'll see all of the details, all of the different uh, themes under this heartfulness course. A four-week course starts May 15th and uh, it's got uh, not only the teachers that I mentioned earlier, of course, Ramdas, Jack, KD, Sharon, and on, but there are four live week, uh, four live evenings each week, reflecting on the particular theme of that week, and that includes uh, Mirabai Star, and it includes uh, Christian Das and myself are going to do something. Uh, Nina is going to do something. Uh, one of those weeks, Nina Rao. And, um, yeah, pretty happy uh, about the simplicity and the complexity of this course. It's got a lot of, of different excerpts from talk, you know, talks <clears throat> from our Maui retreats or with Ramdas earlier talks and so on that were really finely curated uh, by Jackie uh, to to really uh, bring forth, as I said, the complexity of this subject, how to be heartful in a very difficult world of of isolation and separation. So here you go. Again, it's go to ramdas.org slash heart and uh, do join us. There's also a community uh, get-together every week on another day just where people can get together and talk uh, about the... Uh, the subject at hand and it's always great to have these discussions because so much light comes out from them because collectively we are brilliant we really are ramdas.org slash heart and i will see you next time on ramdas here and now So we come together to say to each other the old stories, to say over and over again what we know to be true, understanding that the first truth we know is that truth is a lie, or that there are, that reality is relative. I'll tell you, I've been, um, since 1961, when I first took mushrooms, um, under the kind guidance of Tim Leary. Um, I have been... Um, my whole life has been turned around and I have been pursuing some path, it appears like a path, I experience it as a path, of transformation of consciousness, of awareness, of something, of who I am. Because I saw in that first experience I wasn't who I thought I was. I wasn't who everybody else thought I was. I wasn't who everybody else, I wasn't even one of the people everybody else thought they were. 
Because when I was born, I, like you, went into somebody training. See, you were trained to become somebody. So you have a name, you have an identity. Oh, Doris, she's the one who. You get to develop a role. You go into somebody training, and I you go into somebody training because you are surrounded by trainers, all of whom think they are somebody. Your parents definitely thought they were real. <laughs> Didn't they? Mine did. For the most part, they thought they were real. And they trained me to think I was real. And I was galumphing along being real until the mushrooms. And at the moment of the mushrooms, I saw that I was only relatively real. That who I thought I was was only relatively real. And who I turned out to be was much more interesting than who I had thought I was. Which was an incredible surprise since I thought I was going to spend my life being who I thought I was. Is this too weird? Or <laughs> you hear where I'm playing, let's see. <laughs> so once I saw that I wasn't who I thought I was and who I was was much better, but I couldn't stay there. I kept coming back into who I thought I was. So I started to look around for how to get into who I really am and stay here. That turned out to be the game. I knew how to get high by all kinds of means. But I didn't know how not to come down. And come down meant come back into my acculturation. Come back into my acculturated mind. Come back into my conceptual map of reality that was a set of, who knows, electrical, chemical, whatever, habits of thought or whatever, which I will call my ego, for want of a better term. So I would um, override my ego through spiritual practices, and I would go into a plane of awareness where I was still a separate entity, but I was somehow, it was like coming up out of the smog before the Santa Ana winds. You know, it's like you go into a plane and you go up and suddenly there's sun again. You'd forgotten. And uh, that's what it felt like coming back into sunlight. And uh, I tried all these methods, and I could get in, but I'd keep coming, drifting back down. No matter how long I tried to stay up there, I would re-enter. I seemed to have karma hanging around that required something, attention, some attention about my incarnation. So at some point in that process, I began to see my predicament was that I was trying to get high rather than trying to become free. And that high had a polarity in it of low, and that by holding on to the high, I was in effect pushing away the low. That is, I was pushing away the psychophysical identity that I was born into and that I had thought I was all that time. It's as if once I escaped from the prison cell of my own mind, I didn't want to go back into the cell at all, and I got an aversion to that cell. But by then, I was such a deep practitioner of Buddhism in which I, was, I could understand that the cause of suffering has to do with the clinging of mind 
and that the things you cling to are attractions or aversions. And the thing I was clinging to was an aversion of me as a human being. I was busy being holy. So at that point, I turned my efforts around and I looked at life and realized that I had to embrace my humanity into my being to be free. Is this still are you with me still or is it, huh? Because I can simplify it and make it funnier. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny anyway. But. The first thing I saw when I turned around and looked at life was another of the things that the Buddha had pointed up, but I just saw it without any help from my friends, was the immensity of the suffering. The immensity of the way in which forms were caught in some way that was causing suffering. And I realized that the suffering was so vast because everywhere I looked, I mean, just to not take off your blinders so you see the underclass in this culture. That you don't hide from the incredible suffering that exists among our family while we glumph through life, paying it a certain kind of service but closing off because the suffering is unbearable. And so we defend, we protect, we do something. We do something to make it possible that we can live with the evening news. In, in uh, emergency rooms in hospitals, it's like uh, people develop professional warmth. That is, they're emotional in the service of their intellect. They go in and they're being kind to a patient and, oh, hello, dear, how are you? And it seems real, but in a way, they armor their hearts because the amount of suffering that they are surrounded with, they can't bear. Well, I would say to you that we're in this funny predicament, that the suffering that exists in the universe is immense, and that until you can be with that in some way or other inside your being and be open to it, you have no real freedom because you're busy avoiding something and your ability to free anybody else is quite limited. And when you see that what you'd like to do is take away suffering, you realize that you've got to become an instrument for the removal of that suffering and that means you have to be free of suffering. And how can you look at that vastness of children dying and people with illnesses and old people being deserted and, and kids on the street that are frightened and isolated, and how can you look at all that and not close your heart? Because the people in the hospital wards that become professionally warm, unfortunately, it gets so strong that they go home and it hurts their whole life because they can't become unprofessionally warm just at the turn of a martini.
And I remembered a funny incident that I was that in India happened in India in 1971. I was uh, with my guru up in the foothills of the Himalayas with a group of people, and I had a Volkswagen microvan, uh, an old van, and we traveled around India in it. And <clears throat> at that time, there was a tremendous, tremendous, horrible suffering going on in Bangladesh, which was not. Just maybe two, three hundred miles away. And um, people were dying. It was a terrible scene, you may remember. And I wanted to go there and take my van as an ambulance. And I went to my guru and I was very agitated and I wanted his blessing to do this. And he didn't have a word to say about whether I should or I shouldn't. And in fact, for other reasons, I didn't. But what he saw was my agitation, and he said to me, Ramdas, don't you see it's all perfect? And when he said that, it was like an obscenity. How could you hear of children dying and with the same consciousness say it's all perfect? It's taken me years to work with whatever that is. And that's part of this process. Because the process is realizing that you and I exist on more than one plane of awareness simultaneously. And that on one plane, suffering stinks. And on another plane, suffering is grace. And the question is, can you balance those two things in your consciousness? Because to the extent you can, you are then capable at looking at suffering and bearing the unbearable. Because who it was that found the unbearable has changed. So you have a choice when you find things unbearable. You can put up blindness so you don't see the things. In other words, deny the reality out there. Or you can change what's in here. And I would say that we are awakening or being forced to awaken or the conditions are ripe for awakening or whatever. And that has to do with recognizing that you exist both as an actor, as a doer, as a body, as a personality, as a storyline, and there is a part of our awareness that is like this absolutely clear present, ah. Just what words you would use, appreciating the form of the universe, appreciating the play of God, standing in awe of the miracle of it all, whatever. I mean, that that wasn't scrunched out in you by the pain of the stuff. Like people say to me, are you happy, Ramdas? And I look. And I usually say, yes, I am happy, because usually I am. And then somebody will say to me, Ramdas, are you sad? And I look, I realize, yeah, I am sad. Yeah. Well, how can you be happy and sad? And it's really interesting, because for years I had the model that in order to be happy, I couldn't be sad. And then I see that wisdom is that you are both happy and sad.
that you don't have to push away some reality in order to get your rush. That you can be with the universe as it is. How could you live in the moment if you're so busy warding off the reality of what is? What is is that you're going to get old and and broken down and you're going to die. No matter how good your health treatments are. Now, we may have a genetic breakthrough, and then you can just be miserable longer. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening, and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.